egotistical, so unpredictable Here on the SNL Network Yes, that is right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the SNL Network's Season 47 Postseason Roundtable. We are here, we have finished the season, and we are here tonight to wrap it all up. What a crazy season it was, ups and downs, uh, moments that I thought were totally unexpected. We had some really interesting choices for hosts. We had cast members depart us. We're going to go through all of it tonight and break down everything from the season so we can start to look ahead to the fall and season 48. Thank you for joining us. If you're with us live on this Monday evening, I hope you enjoyed your long weekend if you are in the United States. And if not, yeah, thanks for joining us as usual on Monday nights. We will be back here almost every single Monday night this summer for some really fun SNL coverage. And I'll tell you all about that at the end of the podcast. But let's introduce our panelists that we have here this evening. Joining us from Entertainment Weekly, it is the great Jillian Cedarholm. Jillian, how are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I am doing wonderful. It's so great to talk to you. It's been a few months. Everything going okay with you, Jillian? It's been great. I'm thrilled to be here. Yes. Well, I'm so excited to break down the season with you. I know you're always such a fun SNL voice on Twitter. So now we get to hear all your thoughts about the season. Looking forward to that. Uh, Also joining us is one of our great super fans. I can't wait to get to hear him. Last time he was on the podcast, he was in the host chair replacing me during the Benedict Cumberbatch Hot Take Show. He did a wonderful job that evening. It's Andrew Haynes. Haynes, how are you? I'm fantastic. You know, I'm down south and we've had a miraculously cool spring. It's really just starting to warm up. Sometimes it's 90 degrees in April and um, and it's just been fantastic lately. So I'm keeping cool and looking forward to talking about SNL. Yes, for sure. I'm excited to talk to you. Always excited to get your thoughts on the show and on the season itself. I know you have a lot of hot takes. So great to hear them. <laughs> and of course, I mean, it wouldn't be a postseason roundtable without this guy. He did SNL awards at the ends of the season for so many years in a row. And he's just a great guy to talk to to wrap up the entire season. It is Rich Tackenberg. Rich, how are you? I am uh, sad. I mean, after this podcast, I go into a shoebox until next fall. I don't have a life. This is it. This is the end of my social life. So thank you for having me and thank you for letting me be a part of this this season. It's been great. Yes, Rich is that guy that we we open up the doors to him in October, and then we say goodbye to him in May, and he enjoys the summer. So uh, enjoy him while you get him, people. Um, okay, so uh, we got a very fun panel tonight. Chat, really great to see all of your comments. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on season 47. But let's start with our overall thoughts on the season. I know at one point this season, I said, best season in five years. That's how I really felt about it. There was points where I was tweeting about it. I was saying, okay, I think this is the best in season 42. This is the highest I've seen the community on the show since season 42. I really felt like things were going really strong. I do think we hit some speed bumps along the way. And I think that we had some good episodes in the spring as well. So I would love by the end of the show to really, for myself even, just to gather my overall thoughts on where this season sort of ranks in the history of the show. Jillian, how are you feeling about season 47 overall? Yeah, I I really echo your sentiment. It was a really bumpy ride for me. I really like we had a streak of really great episodes. I was really excited about the hosting choices. I won't get into specifics. I know we'll talk about that, but just the first and five timers was really exciting. The the nostalgia over the alums that we had was really exciting, but in between those highs 
were some pretty low lows for me. I mean, it, it there wasn't like ones that were, I tweeted that there were some clunkers when I tweeted about doing a rewatch this weekend of every single episode. Um, but even in those quote unquote clunkers, there were some gems. So it wasn't like the episodes that I didn't enjoy were a lost cause, but I definitely would have rather, I guess I prefer the high highs to like flatlining at a, at a like C plus episodes, but uh, it definitely didn't live up to the momentum that we started with at the beginning for me. Yeah, that, that's totally fair. And Haynes, I sort of feel like, uh, you know, I've been doing the podcast for two seasons now. Obviously, you've been a part of it every step of the way. I definitely feel like the vibes in this season were a lot stronger than what we got in season 46. It seems like just general, uh, you know, community sentiment was a little bit higher. But how did you feel overall about season 47? Well, I do feel, I, you know, that's a sentiment that I echo as well. I think the community was very engaged. Um, I think that, you know, we had a very normalized season after we've had, you know, a really crazy one last year and, and the end of um, season 45, of course, uh, you know, going into those home shows. So it felt like things were kind of back to normal and the audience was engaged and robust. As far as my overall thoughts in, you know, like you said, well, like both of you said, there were peaks and valleys. Uh, to me, it really kind of averaged out in a way to, I don't think I would call it a super great season. It was maybe kind of, uh, it ended up maybe being kind of a C plus season for me because I felt like we had some really great stuff and we did have some clunkers and, you know, that's par for the course with SNL. So I have to kind of give it, you know, maybe, maybe it's a C plus kind of season for me. So Haynes, let me just push back just a touch on that because C plus season, and I want to just get your clarification. C plus season to you, if you had to say this season 47 out of all the 47 seasons, is this like a, a bottom half season for you in the history of the show? Well, I, I don't like to give Fs to any seasons. I mean, that's pretty brutal. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't say it's a, no, I wouldn't say it's a bottom half. I just okay. think, I just think that it's in that kind of middle zone and maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit north of middle. I'm calling C the average. And so maybe it's a C plus season. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, one day we will definitely do season rankings on the SNL network, but it'll take, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll find the right time for something like that. Okay, Rich, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on season 47. So give it to us. Well, I think I watched a different season of television than Haynes did because I don't know what the f he's talking about. I mean, <laughs> to call this a C season, I like what are you? That's that's bananas to me. I mean, I always say I stole your I, heart, Rich. Well, I mean, I felt like this was a very solid season, you know, and again, and you know, my metric, and we've talked about this, and I think uh, Haynes agreed, like, I, I watch SNL like I would watch a professional baseball team or a professional football team. We're going to lose episodes, you know, we're going to lose nights, we're, we're not going to win every night. And some nights, it's a blowout, we get eviscerated. And it's just, it's hard to watch to the end. But I felt like this was, I would say we were batting, you know, six, 600 this season, I feel like there was probably, I would say, say probably 60%, seven, no, nah, that's high. Probably 60% of the episodes were solid, fun watches and probably 40% start getting into that between really tough to like, eh, 
you, you know, not a favorite. So I feel like for SNL, in truth, when we don't, you know, just remember the hits, that's pretty good. So I would put this in the upper, I would say of the last 10 years, I would say this was one of the more solid seasons that I've seen in a long time. But interestingly, and a season of very few memorable characters, even if we had a very strong season of episodes, and I think that might affect what Jillian and Andrew were saying a little bit about their, about, about how we look back at a season when we had so many fun sketches, but they're not memorable sketches. This is interesting. So 600 for you, that would be like if SNL was a baseball team, they would have made the playoffs this year probably. Of course. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is great. And I love getting all the different perspectives on it. I think for me, it's just that, um, I remember, you know, thinking to myself through the run of the Rami Malek, uh, Jason Sudeikis and Kieran Culkin run, I was like, oh my God, I haven't felt this feeling in so long. It was like, I woke up from a dream of like, this is what SNL is supposed to be. And there were moments like that throughout the season. And, and we talked about these high highs, like especially the John Mulaney episode. Um, that was a huge, like, you know, uh, I guess my expectations were like a little bit, you know, just trying to keep them calm for that one. And and it was so high. And then there was moments for me in the Lizzo episode as well. So it was like there was moments in the spring where I think they caught the fire as well. And it just made me so optimistic for the future that overall, I do genuinely feel like I felt things about SNL this season that I haven't felt in a very long time. And that's exciting for me. Now, that is something that I don't disagree with. I did feel things that I hadn't felt in a while. And I am also very optimistic about the future. And I will tell you why as we move into our you know next few sections. Okay, so let's talk about the overall, you know, major themes that happened this season. And I want to start, I want to try and do this as chronological as possible, because Saturday Night Live made some very interesting decisions this season that ultimately, you know, they, they put the recipe together for the, you know, cake that we got that was SNL season 47. And it really started at, all the way at the beginning of the season when they announced that there was going to be 10 new writers this season a crazy turnover in the writing room. And I know that not everybody follows along with who wrote what sketch. You know, we try and put that stuff out as much as possible online after the episodes. But to me, this was really interesting. And then around the John Mulaney episode, they added an additional three writers because some other writers left at Christmas. So this was like, there were major changes in the writing room that I feel like had a huge impact on what we saw and potentially some of the risks that SNL took this season. Jillian, how do you feel like that affected what you saw on screen? I was thinking about this a lot of just the era of having even just one head writer versus now where it is so many writers. And when I'm looking at when I was trying to like rank episodes, it was really difficult for me because it was like every sketch had such an individual take because there was often not a major through line. I think part of that was because there are so many writers. But at the same time, I think that's why I found gems in the episodes that overall weren't my favorite because I always have a couple writers who just speak to me a little bit more. And I think it also seems like they're working. There's kind of different pairings and mix and matchings more than we've seen in maybe some other seasons where people are really like partnered up. Um, when I was going back and looking at the sketches that I really loved and seeing like, oh, the Please Don't Destroy guys had their hand in many of these. And I didn't realize that when I was watching them, um, which I guess is good and bad. Like maybe I didn't immediately recognize the voice of every writer because there were 
multiple or I don't know, maybe they were throwing things out into different people's stuff um, versus the days when it was like a Mike O'Brien and I'm like, oh, I like his stamp is all over this. I love it. Like that's my jam. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it was, it made for an interesting season. And I think like you said, like it's, it's doing the groundwork for what we are to come, uh, which I think is smart. Um, but I do kind of miss like really having a, a season feel cohesive and have a voice. Like when we're like, this is this era of SNL. And I mean, that's for a inflated cast and inflated writer staff, I think that are kind of getting in the way of that. Yeah. And I think that obviously the uh, Colin Jost and Michael Che being head writers of the show is something that stuck through the entire season and was obviously in the last few seasons. So I uh, can as well. That feel of the, you know their show, I still felt like was there, but there was like sprinkles of these new fun things between Please Don't Destroy, the new monologue writers, DiCenzo and Nordwin, that we got to see, uh, Rosebud Baker working with Michael Che, I think was a big storyline of the spring that you know really impacted some of the sketches. Rich, how do you feel like these writing changes may have changed our overall view of the season? Because for me, Season 50, we always talk about, you know, they're building maybe their next great cast towards that, but could perhaps Lauren and the producers be looking at new writers to build this writing room for this momentous season that's coming up? Yeah, I mean, I feel like what was just said, you know, from the square above me, really, you know, she said, you know, she said really everything I would say. I, I feel like you feel this kind of move to sort of big tent writing of uh, we really want to have a real diversity of opinions and viewpoints and experiences in the writers' room. So it isn't the day of you know seven writers or you know you know, or a, a very strong head writer where you could feel the you could feel the imprint as as was just said on most of the sketches. So I what I what I've liked about this season is when episodes are good it's this real variety of a very silly sketch a very you know eviscerating sketch a very you know something aimed at a very young demo something aimed at a very sort of classic timeless trope and and that mix i think you're getting from a, a very diverse writers room so i like seeing that i wonder how it would be to be a writer in snl and you know if there's 20 writers how many sketches are you getting on a you know an an episode that's got to be really, really stressful, but I think it shows. I've, I've really liked the diversity of types of voices within the writing that we've been getting, the, especially towards the second half of the season. 100%. Haynes, how do you feel about the changes in the writing room? Well, I, you know, that's, it's, one of the, it's one of my big takeaways for the season. Um, I feel like, you know, obviously losing Jasmine Pierce and Stephen Castillo um, you know, and then particularly Anna Dresden, uh, you kind of expect some sort of shift, um, you know, and just actually, you know, putting Sarah Sherman on the show, I think, you know, inspired some people to write some really kind of weird surrealist stuff. Um, so we're, we're bringing out that aspect, but you know, the, the show felt really fresh to me this year in a lot of ways. And yeah, you know, one might be as simple as, you know, we, we don't, um, you know, we're not dealing with Trump stuff every week, although, you know, it's resurfaced a little bit with J.A.J. And that did taper some at the end of last season anyway. Um, but without Beck there, who was taking up a huge portion of, you know, he's he was always a power player last season, right there with Kate McKinnon every episode. Um, but it didn't feel like he left a hole, maybe because there's so the cast is so large and, you know, we don't need to see Mike Pence every week. So I didn't feel like there's this big hole there. 
um, without him. What I did feel was a, I, I fell in love with being able to rely on please don't destroy. That really became a thing that I could look forward to consistently. I feel like I love their stuff every time and it's, it's getting on very regularly. And they in particular, I feel like, you know, what makes the cut for the show, um, it, it just brings such a freshness. Uh, and that's one of the things that gives me hope for the future. Um, I love what they bring to the table with their own pre-tapes, but, you know, as Jillian was saying, um, you know, it's interesting where their, you know, footprints are elsewhere um, in the show. And to me, it just, it did feel fresh. The whole season just felt fresh. For sure. And by the way, when you say the Please Don't Destroy stuff, you don't just mean their pre-tapes. You also mean the sketches that they're writing, correct? Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. So then, you know, we got this news about the writing staff changes. We also got some very interesting news right before the start of the season. We heard Lauren Holt and Beck Bennett were out. Obviously, Beck Bennett, you know, moving on from the show for a very long time. I was worried about a huge hole that Beck Bennett was going to fill because, or not, you know, not be there anymore. And uh, you know, I was surprised that I didn't feel it as much as I thought I would. And we had three new cast members brought on board, James Austin Johnson, Sarah Sherman, and Aristotle Atari. And, you know, that was a really interesting thing for me to see how these new cast members were going to start to integrate themselves into the season. And I had the craziest moment in my entire time talking about Saturday Night Live when we open up the season and James Austin Johnson is playing the president of the United States. Like, what an insane call for SNL. It was like a football team that never throws a Hail Mary or never does, you know, never uh, does a, like uh, on a kickoff, like never. Uh, Kane, help me out. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, um. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll think of it later. I'll come back yeah. to it. I'll come back to it. <laughs> but anyways, a, a sports team that does something that they never do, and then they go ahead and they do it. And I was like, "This is insane! This is an insane decision to give a rookie that we've never seen on the show before the chance to be an onside kick." Thank you. Um, so, okay. uh, never gets the chance to be the president of the United States, and he was there, and he absolutely crushed it. And he had one of the major storylines of the season in the cold opens between jumping back and forth between this Biden and Trump impression all season long, and then he was. Also, in the latter half of the season, in a ton of sketches where he was just playing uh, weird guys. So he obviously had a major impact. Sarah Sherman, it took a little bit longer, but wow, what an incredible second half of the season. Aristotle came out with these moments on the show of just absolute greatness between Angelo and Laffintosh 3000. And then obviously, unfortunately, we weren't able to see a lot more from him at that point. But those were huge additions to the cast. And then to wrap up the season, we lose four cast members, legacy cast members who've been on the show for a very long time between Pete Davidson, Kate McKinnon, A.D. Ryant, and Kyle Mooney. So a lot of changes in the cast department as well. Jillian, starting with you, what did you think of all the cast changes this year and how they affected the overall show? Um, well, I was, a, I was a huge Beck fan, but I was a huge fan of Beck and Kyle and Good Neighbor Beck fan. So I don't think I was really as concerned about the hole he was going to leave when we had plenty of other white guys to fill that hole of just doing kind of like utility impressions or stepping in. I, I thought that Mikey and Alex would have that covered. Um, I I do still wish that he and, and Kyle had left at the same time just for the, I would have enjoyed that. And I think maybe Kyle, I don't know, cause he still didn't really get his due. Um, I'm, I am a huge Kyle fan. Uh, 
not Baby Yoda, um, but everything else. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, and Lauren Holt just didn't get a chance, so that's just sad. But the new cast members, yeah, at first I was like, oh, like, let's just leave it alone. We don't need three new. And then the second that cold open started with JAJ, that was just shocking and just really exciting. Um, Sarah Sherman as... I was familiar with her a little bit as Sarah Squirm in her stand-up work. Um, so I really was puzzled how they were going to incorporate her type of humor. And I was a little worried that it would turn into a Kyle or someone who is just a total weirdo and doesn't really get a chance to be quite as weird as I love them on the show. So it was really exciting to see her throughout the show. Um, and Aristotle, yeah, I was really excited to see how he would do. And I was um, thought he was doing really great for the first couple episodes. And then we just never saw him again. But I think uh, I would love to see a lot more of him. For sure. Haynes, how do you feel like the cast decisions affected the show this season between the three new cast members and obviously the four leaving at the end? Well, okay. So, I mean, James Austin Johnson, uh, James Austin Johnson, you know, is maybe had the greatest, is it possible that this is the greatest, you know, first season since basically the original cast? I mean, as much as they got put in everything, because it's just how the show started. Um, I mean, this was unbelievable for him. It was unbelievable. And, you know, I was uh, worried, too, about Sarah Sherman, how that would work out. Um, as strange and weird as she is, but she's gotten to play plenty of, you know, straight roles. She can be, uh, you know, just a normal little girl whose Bratz dolls come alive. And then she can also be a meatball and, um, and everything in between. Um, I love her, uh, roast of Colin Jost. You know, they, I, I thought about that as some of my favorite weekend update stuff. I, you know, I love that. Um, I think as far as, you know, this batch of hires, I think even though Aristotle was perhaps underused and perhaps not, I mean, I do think the people running the show know what they're doing, uh, but they were still much better utilized uh, in their first year. And I think better received than the last batch of new hires in, you know, Andrew Dismukes and um, Punky and Lauren, obviously Lauren's not with us anymore, but uh, you know, JAJ had no, an not on the show anymore. She's alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Well, to me, SNL is life. Uh, yeah, but uh, so, um, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, getting promoted, um, Chloe and Bowen, you know, from featured uh, to repertory players. Obviously, they both deserve it. You know, Chloe, you know, maybe much due to her impression capability, and I don't know how to put it with Yang, um, except that it feels like any. Any any sketch where he's not playing the straight man, he's going to steal it. Anytime that he gets to ham around a little bit, he I feel like he just steals the show. So um, and you know they're not new, obviously, but so but you know the three new hires, huge huge impact. I think um, Beck did not leave the hole. Like I said earlier, he didn't leave a hole. Lauren will not be missed for different reasons. She just never found her place. I don't, um, you know, I enjoyed her weekend update piece that she did. And, you know, she was, she had a few good lines and other things, but, um, you know, but, but, you know, she's a great person, but it didn't feel, obviously she didn't leave a hole in the show either. Uh, but the three new hires, just fantastic this year. Would have loved to see more Aristotle. And I'm glad you brought up the Laughing Tosh 3000, because I do think that was fantastic. Um, and the, and listen, the community loves Angela. 
they are going crazy for Angelo out there. Um, not as crazy as me. I like Angelo, but the community is obsessed with Angelo for some reason. God bless them. Um, but 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 yes, the new hires, huge impact. Yeah, I actually have never seen the SNL community rally around a, a character or, you know, I guess a character on the show like Angelo. It's been mm -hmm. very crazy in these streets. Uh, but Rich, how do you feel about the cast changes overall? How did that impact your viewing of 47? Yeah, I mean, I'll be brief because you guys covered so much of it well. It, you know, the featured players here, it reminded me of season 45, as, as Haynes was just alluding to, when you had Bowen Yang and Chloe Feynman come on as new and really make a very strong impression from the beginning. I mean, and this is one of the reasons we love SNL. I mean, because I owe, no matter how big the cast gets, and I'm always a big fan of people leaving, even people who I like, You, we always want featured players every year. We want new people, new blood, new voices, new life. This is what keeps keeps the show from being encased in, 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 you know, uh, whatever that is, you know, encased in, you know, Amber locked it. Yeah. Amber. Thank you. Uh, you know, we don't want it to become a relic. We don't want it to become stuck in its old ways. We don't want to just turning it back into a greatest hits. We've lived through seasons through the years where an episode, where a season of SNL is just the greatest hits of last year's SNL. So you add a Sarah Sherman at weekend update, you add JAJ doing those impressions really great. And I think, you know, one of the things that I see in those years is is big characters and funny impressions. And that one thing about SNL, whether it's 1975 or 2022, it is really hard to break through this show if you're not doing either a big character or a great funny impression. And we saw that with both of them. Definitely. And when it comes to the cast members who have the part of the show, obviously we talked a lot about them last week during our Natasha Leone coverage. We will be, uh, not, they're still alive, but from an SNL perspective, we'll be eulogizing them over the next month, talking about their careers on the show. So that'll be happening uh, on the SNL docket for the SNL network this summer. Okay. One more thing before we start getting into the parts of the show. And Rich, I'm going to start with you on this one. I want to talk a little bit about SNL's decisions to book the hosts this season. I always find that as a very interesting discussion. That's generally how we start off our roundtables each and every Monday. It's talking about why SNL decided to book this particular person. And I thought it was interesting to just you know talk about the season as a whole and the hosts that they booked. I think that there were some, uh, for me at least, Rich, that I just could like I, fan favorites I was so excited about between Jason Sudeikis and Will Forte. I think those were just like uh, fans, pure fan service. Um, and I, there were other ones that were, you know, we had a lot of Marvel this year. We had some other really interesting choices that kind of came out of nowhere, between like an Ariana DeBose as example. So I would love to hear for you how you felt about the booking of the host this season. I think this was a really solid mix. You know, we always say, you know, I always say the purpose of the guest host is to bring in an audience, full stop. That is the reason that a guest host is, but that is the reason there is a guest host in the format of Saturday Night Live going back 47 years. It's to bring in an audience. And, you know, I didn't love every choice, but, you know, that's the, that's the point. If one person loved every choice, then they're not casting a broad enough net in, in, in booking hosts. We're supposed to have people that appear to all different, you know, demographics, all different ages, all different walks of life, uh, you know, a couple of stunt castings along the way. So I thought it was really nice. I thought it was a really good mix of hosts this year and interesting to see, uh, you know, a lot of first time hosts, which I think was really smart. Again, it wasn't a greatest hits season and interesting to see who really worked well and who sort of struggled. It was, it was harder to predict than I thought, but overall I thought this was a, a nice, well-rounded mix. 
Haynes, I think Rich hit on something was a great way to sum up the season is the amount of first time hosts was really interesting. And I have to wonder with some of the changes like we talked about in the writing department and the new cast members, we always talk about hosts that grow with certain eras of the cast could potentially some of these new hosts we've seen this season come back time and time again with some of these younger cast members because of the rapport they developed in season 47. How do you feel about the host this season? I mean, that's a that's a great idea to toss out there. I feel pretty similar to you know what Rich was saying. To, it was a good blend. To me, there weren't a ton of names that stood out as huge um, big timers. There was a, we had a handful of them sprinkled in, but you know, one of my big takeaways from the season was all the new hosts. There are just so many new hosts. Um, and yes, of course, to me, um, you know, probably the, it felt like the biggest storylines were Jason Sudeikis and Will Forte. You know, finally coming home. Uh, obviously. I, I feel like Paul Rudd trying to join the Five Timers Club and and having a little bit of an issue there, um, you know, was a was was a, a salient moment as well. But <clears throat> you know, there weren't any really controversial hosts. Um, I remember some people kind of snubbing their nose at Kim Kardashian West, and well, I'm not a huge fan of her, but I don't see that there's anything controversial about it. I mean, she's on popular television. I mean, she's a huge name. So to me, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, with all the new folks and then, you know, a little bit of fan service and, and a couple of other big names, you know, in Lizzo and, and Billie Eilish, um, I think it was very well balanced. For sure. And I know you did bring up Kim Kardashian. I think that, uh, you know, if you go and you are a big SNL fan and you decide to go back and turn on the first three episodes of this season from the Kardashians. There is incredible behind-the-scenes footage of them preparing for that particular episode, including Kim meeting with Amy Schumer to review her monologue and a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. I think it might give some of our SNL uh, fans here at the network a different perspective on that episode if maybe they were a little bit hard on it. I think that was a fun and interesting choice for the show. Jillian, Heading over to you on your thoughts on the choice to book all the hosts we saw in season 47. Mm -hmm. I was really excited about what it looked like they were doing with the first time and fifth time hosts. Myself and one of our writers who was covering most of the hosting announcements, like every time they would announce a new one, we're like, oh, the streak is continuing first and fifth. It's going to be the whole season. Um, And especially when it looked like it was going to be all first. And then Paul as the last episode of... 2021 as the fifth five timer and I was like oh maybe they'll do that again um so then when they got to uh Jake Gyllenhaal I think was the first one right he was before um Willem no Willem Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch sorry Benedict yes you're right so when they got to that I was kind of disappointed like oh the streak is ending but when I did my rewatch this weekend and I'm looking at my reasoning for which episodes were weaker to me I think a large part of it was that the material didn't quite match the host. Like I thought that all the, I, I'm going to say all of the first time hosts had really great energy. In the past, we've had ones that were just reading off the cue card, kind of phoning it in. I really felt like everyone was really there to play. And none of the episodes that I thought were weaker for me, none of them I can blame on the host at all. Um, I don't want to like blame the writing staff. I think just sometimes they're like, well, this is like an idea we've had sitting around for a while. I don't really know 
maybe someone like Simu Liu as well as I know, like obviously uh, Will Forte or Jason Sudeikis. So I'll give him this and, you know, he seems like he's willing to play along. And I really got that energy from um, him, from Lizzo, Oscar Isaac. Like I, that is someone who I would love to see back. He just like was so game for everything. Um, So I was really excited by it. And then, but it's like looking back, maybe they should have had a couple other decisions or other picks where it was somebody who they had worked with a little bit more in the years since, especially since we have so many longtime cast members who have worked with so many hosts that I think it would have been exciting to kind of play off of who's somebody that Kate really has great energy with over the years, who's someone that Cecily really has great energy with. Um, I think we did find some new matches. Like, Ariana's episode was very singing heavy. Like I didn't really enjoy a lot of the sketches in that from like a writing standpoint, but I thought that was fun to see her energy playing off of. We have a very musical cast. I mean, as we see in the Mulaney musical episode. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe they just need to figure out a little bit better how to play into that, what to do with her versus just making her sing quite so often. Yeah, and I also have to wonder, with regards to the first-time host this season, how COVID may have still impacted some of the booking decisions. I think that, you know, season 46, we wrapped up the season. It was the COVID season of SNL. That's what we talked about. But, I, you know, there were still COVID restrictions in the building. Obviously, you saw during the goodnights this season, everyone was still wearing masks. We did have the Omicron episode, the Paul Rudd episode at Christmas. So, you know, that is something that still had an impact on season 47. And I have to feel like that, you know, leached into some of these hosting decisions and that potentially some of the hosts you may have expected to get in the season may not have wanted to do it for whatever reason, or perhaps, and I think this is a major factor, a lot of the projects that people were working on were delayed because of COVID and ended up being filmed throughout the season. So I do think there was actually a lot less people available to be booked this season compared to seasons past. And that is why you may have seen them experimenting with hosting choices for season 47. At least that's my theory. So uh, that's where I would look to season 48 to potentially get some of those favorites back that we've seen in the past. Okay, let's talk about different moments from the season in terms of the segments of the individual episodes. And of course, we will start with our cold opens. So like I said, a lot of really fun, you know, choices that we saw, but still, my biggest problem with the show this season was the cold opens, because I still feel like they need to figure out how they're going to be handling them in the future. And I thought it was really interesting that the last three cold opens of the season were very different from some of the ones that we saw. So like I said, kicked off with J.A.J., ended up with some really interesting cold open decisions towards the end of the season. But I would love to discuss with the panel here their favorite cold opens of the season and moments that they want to talk about. Haynes, can I start with you on the cold opens from the season? I'm so glad you are starting with me. I said this on the hot take show after Benedict Cumberbatch. I will say it again. My feelings have not changed. I thought the Roe v. Wade set in 1300s England was a brilliant, beautiful cold open. It was, um, you know, it was it was funny. It it still had a little bit of a political point. You know, obviously. It can feel sometimes, particularly in the past few years, that they have just really gone over the 
top with the political cold opens. And I know that a lot of people are tired um, of that, but this one felt very fresh to me. Uh, first of all, I love a good period piece. I'm just a sucker for the costumes. Um, it, but, but I thought it was very well written. Um, it had tons and tons of jokes. Benedict Cumberbatch in, was just really nailing his part immediately. Um, you know, it's full of all these fun examples of how little we knew about the world then and, and how um, mean and cruel we could be because of our ignorance. Um, and then kind of, you know, referencing, cross-referencing that with some of the things that's going on today. Uh, you know, <laughs> I love the jokes about, you know, the sheriff throwing left-handed children into the river. Um and uh, I think James Austin Johnson refers to incest and rape as the only two types of sex. So it's just like these really crude, um, funny jokes. And it was just there was something refreshing about it. Uh, and, you know, it was great to see James Austin Johnson um, outside of a huge lead role. You know, as you as you mentioned, now he can just kind of play um, random dudes in the in the background. And he's still nailing those parts as well. Um, we did get a little mask talk about the plague uh, and a classic My Body, My Choice line. Um, Red, Chris Red had some really funny lines. Um, to me, it was just the type of cold open that I would like to see. Maybe it ran a little bit long, um, but it, it felt it, it matched to me the freshness of the season. Interesting. Rich, were there any cold opens that really stood out to you? How did you feel about the cold opens overall the season? You know, I when I was going back through the season this weekend and just writing down my favorite sketches, it was telling to me that only one of my favorite sketches was from a cold open, and it was the alien encounter bit, uh, you know, in the in the season finale, which was not meant to be a cold open. And I thought that was very telling to me. I, I agree with what John you were saying. I think we have a cold open problem. I think that there have been some fun cold opens, but I still wonder if, as we've said uh, on an episode just recently of this podcast that their SNL feels a need or a cultural imperative of speaking to what is what is the most sort of a pop culture or a current event meme going on in the world in the cold open and i find that that's been very limiting i feel like it's it's been very challenging these days i feel like we live in a very different world than 10 15 20 years ago when generally the biggest thing being talked about was actually being talked about by the majority of the Country. These days, I feel like whatever is the biggest meme is being talked about by 10% of the country. And so it's, I feel like whether it's the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial or whether it's something going on in politics, it's hard to find something that we're all going, oh, thank God they covered that. And the truth is, in most of those, whatever is the funny joke of the cold open, the basic punchline will be repeated in a weekend update joke. And so I really look at this, at the alien counter, and really do wonder. What if we just went back to the old days of just write the 10 best sketches, pick the funniest one and open the show with it and then have people yell live from New York at Saturday night? I think that and and if some writer is so taken with something going on in the world that they have to write it, they can't not write it. That's your cold open, but don't try to fill a slot. Let the material speak to what is going to be the strongest piece to start the show because that's what I miss. I don't care about who's the president. You know, you know when when John Belushi died of a 
of a of a heart attack, and and you know because uh, you know in the in the very first episode of Saturday Night Live, you know uh, because you know the the Wolverines were eating his fingers. I didn't know who the president was at that point. I didn't know what the pop culture meme was in that moment. It was just bananas. It was uh, you know it was the it was the beginning of bananas time, and that's what I want. I want the strength of open the show with your best piece of business, biggest laugh. Get us going, get us to that monologue, whether it's relevant or not. And I hope that we do more of that next season. And if a piece fits both, then it's it's a, a total win. Look, and I think this has been a big discussion throughout the season about, you know, political cold opens versus pop culture cold opens. And I think that the general sentiment is we've seen so many political cold opens. We've been beaten to death by political cold opens that pop culture cold opens are like a nice palate cleanse after a while. But I am still going to say I don't have a problem with the political cold opens. I think it's the format of the political cold opens that we've seen over the last few years going into this season, because this season is 47. I don't think that's changed so much from what we saw in 46 or 45, where it is a rolling impression list of people just coming out one after another that I don't think works anymore unfortunately and i would look to former eras of the show where political cold opens worked really well because they built the world of the president and you got to know their staff through the eyes of the different snl cast members that there was actually something smart to say about the things that were happening and to me that is what is missing even though i don't think they always have to go to it every single week Jillian, would love to get your thoughts on the cold opens this season. And if you have any particular favorites, would love to hear them. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I really need a cold open to be fairly quick, punchy, get the audience hyped. Like, I, I don't like rolling like 20 guest stars through there. But if you're going to have one or two guest stars to get a pop of audience applause and just get everyone really energized, I'm good with that. Um, I actually differ from Andrew in that for I can't even put my finger on it. I don't always I don't really love when the host pops up in the cold open. Like I I really want that to be saved for something special, but especially when it's a first or second time host, I don't like seeing them there. Maybe if it was an alum. Um I I think like we live in such a, a weird time when the like the pop culture or the political take of the moment is we've already been talking about it for so many days by the time it gets onto SNL. So then it becomes like, what can we do that just nobody has said yet? And oftentimes no one said it because it's not the funniest take of it. So yeah, I would love for them to really experiment some more, just do something quick, um, whether it's political or not, just, just something different. I would like I I just I don't need to see Janine Pirro if Cecily comes back. I don't need to see Janine Pirro again in a cold open. Um, maybe once. Um, my my personal favorite was the also the Miss Rafferty final encounter. But I guess to be fair, I would say that was my favorite live from New York. Maybe not my favorite cold open. Um, I I loved it as a sketch, but I think it really was about the emotion of. Kate saying that, us knowing it was her final one, the way she really visibly took in the audience before she said the line and the double meaning of saying, I love you. Thanks for letting me stay a while. So I think that's probably um, colored my view of it. Um, even though we just said like the the political cold opens are getting stale, uh, going to John's point of 
like finding a voice for the president. The one that I did really also love was the ghost of Biden past because it was meta. It was funny. It was it had a take. It was, you know, mocking Alex's time as Biden. So I thought that was also a fresh way into that kind of a thing. I think the other challenge he's talking about with the political cold open is without getting into specifics, I think for anyone, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, I feel like what I hear is if you're making fun of the person that I believe in, then you're, you're hitting too hard and that frustrates me. And if you're making fun of the person who, uh, you know, who I'm on the other side of, you're not hitting hard enough and you're, and you're, you're giving that person a pass and that it feels like it's the same on both sides. And I feel like it's much harder. I feel like it, there was a time where despite what was going on in the world, SNL had the free pass of just saying this person for the sake of this impression is an idiot, whether they're Republican, Democrat, young, old, for the purposes of SNL, they're an idiot. And I don't think that they get that latitude anymore. So I feel like it's harder to world build a character around a political figure without it being a little bit more um, uh, loaded. There's a little bit more of a loaded energy, especially for me now when I come to, I mean, I used to love nothing more than, you know, Will Ferrell doing George Bush, just whatever. It was just hilarious. And these days when I'm starting SNL, the last thing I want is to be reminded of what was going on this week. I'm watching the show specifically to escape from what happened this week, regardless of what it was. And I think that that's changing the calculus of what it, what works as a good cold open. That's totally fair. I, I think for me, Jillian had mentioned Ghost of Biden past. I think that was a very fun cold open and exactly what I am talking about when it comes to, you know, making fun of the meta of the president of the United States. And and Rich is totally on point. Maybe it's just so difficult to do that now. But I would wish for the future that James Austin Johnson can build the world around Biden and we can get to see that a little bit more in 48. So Haynes brought up the Roe v. Wade cold open. Uh, Jillian and Rich both brought up the final encounter cold open, which was our finale one that wasn't supposed to be, but it was very nice that we got that, which is really the cake goodbye. Let's see what the audience thought about their favorite cold opens from this season. And right at the top, we have the three that we just discussed. So 28.07% of the audience believes that our last cold open, the one with Natasha Leone, the final encounter, was the number one cold open from this season. Ghost of Biden Past, episode four with Jason Sudeikis, where he came out, was 21.05% in our second place. Roe v. Wade, episode 19 with Cumberbatch, 8.77%. Now, what's fascinating to me here is even though Jillian said she didn't love seeing the hosts in the cold opens, the three that we got at the top were three cold opens that had hosts in it. So maybe they just felt special in a way. Number four was the Biden Spider-Man cold open from episode 10 with Ariana DeBose to kick off 2022. And then we had the Justice Katanji Brown Jackson confirmation cold open episode 17 with Jake Gyllenhaal. So uh, the Biden Spider-Man was 5.26% and the Justice Katanji Brown Jackson was 3.51%. Thanks to the audience for voting that. And of course, if you would like to vote in our polls, they're up all week. So we, you can continue to vote and we'll continue to update the results and post those on social media. Let's talk about the monologues from this season. And I have the opposite opinion on the monologues because they were fantastic. I think this was the most improved part of the show by far. I think we had some of the best monologues this season that I can remember. Like just overall, if you average up the scores, they kept hitting home runs after home runs with some of these monologues. And whatever they did, again, we gave a lot of credit to Mike Chenzo and Jake Nordwin who were very involved in a lot of the monologues this season. Uh, whatever they did, whatever decisions they made, 
this to me was a major improvement for season 47. Rich, can I start with you? Let's get your thoughts overall on the monologues from the season and any favorites that you had. Yeah, I agree. I although I will split it and I will say for me personally, I think the first half of the season, uh, taking out stand-up comedians, because you know, we're gonna put Mulaney in, in you know in another uh category because those are always very different. But as far as the non-stand-up uh comedy routine monologues, the first half, the it's not to me that they were so much funnier than in days past, but they were so personal. And I thought that that was such a nice piece that we were really getting to see the real people. Um, and I love that. I thought that was really fun. I think that we lost that a little bit in the second half. I think even when the style of like a Selena Gomez was to be personal, it was really hitting on tropes that we already knew about Selena Gomez. Um, but a lot of those first half ones were really personal, really fun. So even if it wasn't hilarious, it was very endearing and it teed me up to want them to win even more in whatever sketch was going to come next with a lot of really warm moments. Um, so overall, I love this style. I love that we had the writers. but nothing can take away from a great stand-up comedian. And as much as I want to, you know, I'm a huge Mulaney fan. I thought his his monologue was great. I think for me, the opening of the, of the season was the Gerald Carmichael piece. And knowing that he probably had a lot of stand-up comedy written, but then you had the, the Oscars just that week, you know, that week before, and he had a huge chunk of material that at most was written, you know, six days earlier. I thought that was a really standout piece of live TV that was just really tremendous. That was a great one and just a huge topic of conversation. Obviously, for the first time in a very long time, we had pop culture moments that just infiltrated anyone, anywhere. And it was crazy to see how SNL was going to handle something like that. Jillian, how do you feel about the monologues this season and which ones were your favorites? Yeah, I loved that they stepped away from some old tropes. Like there were very few singing ones. And I mean, I guess other than Jake Gyllenhaal, like Ariana was singing but it was slightly different than just singing because I have nothing else to do. Um, and the audience questions or just a random cast member comes out to say something to kill time. Um, I really liked what they were doing with the monologues. Um, I agree that Gerard had an incredible monologue that was probably tied for my favorite, maybe my runner up. Um, just like the incredible timing of, I mean, if Billie Eilish was hosting that week, we were not getting a slap-based monologue in that kind of way. It was, like, perfect um, that he was there. But, I mean, like, giving this over to a first-time host to be the person who addressed it, but because he is someone who has been around the show and has just, like, the confidence and the stand-up chops to really pull that off, I thought his delivery to the studio audience and then pivoting to the camera and addressing the live or the home audience as well as Barack Obama directly um, was just masterful. He really blew me away with that. Um, but I think that overall, I'm going to pick as my favorite, the another nostalgia pick, the Jason Sudeikis monologue, because um, it's rare that I'm nearly fully crying in a monologue of just thinking about his his role at SNL. And I mean, I know that Ted Lasso's whole deal and I did binge all of Ted Lasso the weekend before he hosted because I wanted to catch up just in case they did a Ted Lasso sketch, which they, which they did not do. So it was all for nothing. Um, but I know that Ted Lasso's whole deal is being uh, sweet and genuine and, and kind of what we saw in his monologue, which is not the Jason Sudeikis that we really know from the show. That wasn't his whole vibe. And so to see him do that was really special 
to talk about just how much the show meant to him. He, during award season, um, he was raking in all these awards for Ted Lasso. And he also, this was before he hosted, he was also listing his core cast and his thank yous uh, consistently, uh, which was really sweet. And so you could tell that it was just this, like he is living in this nostalgia for his time on SNL, which I think is really sweet. And as a fan, I love that. Um, but just channeling that in his monologue was just how it changes life twice as a performer on it. And as a kid watching it was like, I'm getting choked up again, just thinking about what all of the super fans watching this, like what I know SNL means to all of us. I couldn't agree more. It meant, it meant the world to me. And uh, I remember watching Jason's first episode. I remember him popping up when he was a writer. And to see it, that full circle moment was uh, fantastic. And he, like I said, huge fan service for the entire fandom of SNL. Haynes, how do you feel about the monologues this season and any favorites stand out to you? Well, you know, of course, Jason Sudeikis was one that I enjoyed a lot. Um, I think Rich makes a great point about how personal so many of them felt I do think it's funny that right before he made that point, he said, take out John Mulaney. And because his, because John Mulaney's felt pretty personal at times. Um, so, but, uh, but, 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 and listen, I usually am one who, you know, gravitates towards standups. Um, I didn't go far away from that as far as picking my favorite. I, I do think Will Forte's might have been my favorite. Um, it was just a really, I mean, you know, like you said, it's fan service to get these guys back. Um, it was just great to see him. But, you know, they, they did a good job playing up the bitterness from everyone from his ensemble uh, hosting before him. Uh, you know, we get a cameo from Kristen Wiig. Who doesn't love that? Um, you know, audience questions are you know, pretty common with the monologues, but it's not every day that one doubles as a cameo for Lorne Michaels and Willem Dafoe. And um, anytime we get Lorne uh, in anything, in a sketch or a monologue, that's huge for me. Um, so I just, I love that. I just thought it was well-rounded. It was full of great jokes that were perfectly delivered. Um, you know, to that point, actually, I think Kim K's uh, monologue might've been you know, one of the best written of this, it might've been the best written monologue of the season. I'm kind of a sucker for a little bit um, of the edgier kind of roast jokes and hers was packed with them. Um, you know, I, the only reason I didn't make it the the best one is because she just rushed a lot of the delivery. She wasn't leaving enough, uh, enough necessary beats for the audience reactions. But I know that a lot of people had a hand in writing that Michelle Wolf and Dave Chappelle and Amy Schumer and, and a bunch of different folks. Um, but but Will Forte's, you know, had had the good jokes, and just because it's Will Forte, it was so well delivered. Um, and yeah, you know, that's a little bit nostalgic, maybe, to want to choose, um, you know, a former cast member. But it was just one that I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, it's always crazy to go last on these because I think those top three that you mentioned are definitely my top three. And I was going to mention the Will Forte one because of that Lauren cameo, the Willem Dafoe stuff. I mean, uh, Lauren Michaels just saying... Uh, you think I would book someone named Will <laughs> than someone named Willem? In his only appearance of the season, to me, was was one of the moments of the hot entire season for me. And uh, yeah, like I said, fan service moments, getting to know the cast members, as Rich said. Uh, this is something, SNL, I beg of you, please... We love this stuff. Please continue this next season. I definitely would love to see more of it. Okay, 
let's uh, share our results from the fans this week uh, that we put out this week to see which were their favorite monologues of the season. And let me just say, some of the stands came out for the results of this one. So we'll show you uh, <laughs> what the results are. So in first is Jason Sudeikis with 15.29%. A lot of Selena stands came out very hard for her monologue. Selena Gomez coming in at 14.46%. Oscar Isaac at 14.05%. There's a lot of Oscar stands out there as well. Uh, Gerard Carmichael, 11.57%. Rami Malek was a very good monologue as well, 11.16%. Kim Kardashian, 9.92%. And then John Mulaney, 8.26%. So totally makes sense. This feels like we're on Family Feud now, and I just want to win. Bing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about the live sketches that we saw this season. And I'll start by saying, uh, I think that the live sketches to me, obviously a lot of ups, a lot of downs, really the main part of Saturn Alive that makes the show live. But I remember being here with you specifically, Rich, last season, and we kept talking about, oof, these live sketches sometimes. There are some episodes without any live sketches to even talk about, really. And I don't feel like I had any episode this season where there wasn't at least one live sketch that I could really get into and talk about. And there were some with a couple, and there were actually some where almost every live sketch of the night was fantastic. So, Jillian, what did you think of the live sketches this season? Yeah, I thought there were a lot of really memorable live sketches. And usually I am, I were at least in the last couple of seasons, I was really a a pre-tape girl, which, you know, goes <laughs> against in some ways the whole premise of the show. Um, so yeah, I thought there were a lot that I really uh really was a fan of. And like I said, even in the episodes that I didn't love, oftentimes there was at least one live sketch even that I really did like. Cause I couldn't say, oh well, my favorite sketch in this was a pre-tape so it was probably written for another episode anyway but oftentimes it was something that was pretty specifically written for that but um my favorite sketch and this is this is a little different for me because usually I do go for something that's really offbeat like the the 10 to 1 kind of thing but my top sketch I think I could really see it living in any era of SNL um and like just give that script to another uh, cast member and host and they could probably pull it off. But I think the people in it did an amazing job. And that was the sleepy time mattress store with Rami Malek and AD. Um, just, I had, uh, I had expectations for Rami, but I didn't really know, know what to think. Like I, I know he has it in him and he's a great actor, but I just wasn't sure how he would take to SNL. And I just really enjoyed his whole episode and this sketch just was such a, it was really an instant classic to me, 80s physicality, Bowen being the rare uh, character who's like not the crazy person in the sketch was really fun. Um, it just was, it got insane, it got horny, it really checked all the boxes for me, and I am a huge fan of that sketch. I agree. That was the that was probably the first live sketch the entire season that I was truly, utterly impressed with the quality of the writing in. I believe that was a Please Don't Destroy piece as well. And I was just like three episodes in, we're like, okay, we're hitting its stride now. So that was exciting for me, for sure. Rich, can I go to you next on your favorite live sketches from the season and how you felt about Boy, the overall? Yeah. 
overall similar, you know, as you, as you said, you know, I think this was, I, I wrote down, I think about 13 or 14 sketches that I thought were noteworthy and probably more because towards the end, I knew what my favorites were. So I didn't, I wasn't writing them down. And what's interesting is I look over the list without getting into the specific names, there's no commonality. There's no, well, there's a, there's an actor or actress that dominated. There's a writing, there's a style. It was really just such a nice mix of so many different, uh, different ways of, of just of you know silly insightful short long you know newcomers old timers really really great so it was a really good uh, mattress store for me was also uh, you know high high on my list um, for me I- I'm gonna go uh, to the next episode from Jason Sudeikis I think the parent teacher conference between him and Ego was was just one of my favorites just what an amazing build uh, just to see I felt like oh this okay okay Ego's a star I thought she might be but i wasn't for sure and this up this that sketch showed me okay she's a star and it was sudeikis as i said when we first saw that episode it was him at that top of his game i felt like sudeikis in this sketch was way better of a sketch performer than jason sudeikis when he was on snl years earlier because he started very subtle very slight as the teacher who maybe is flirting i'm not quite sure and he slowly built so that when he hits a 10 it was such a great journey so i thought uh that that was probably hard to say but that was probably my favorite episode of the uh, his favorite sketch of the season yeah it was like bridgerton <laughs> yeah. levels of heat at times yeah yeah for sure for sure the confidence from sudeikis and that uh, sketch that that did something um, and her okay. too i mean that's the thing often yeah. with snl sketches you can tell that the writing is from the viewpoint of one of the characters and every other character is just a straight person they're just there to react off but it was a two-hander it was well maybe with that scene that's a weird term to use but uh it was it really was a two character scene with you know with with a third person in it uh but you you got to see that play in a really more lovely way way than a lot of sketches often work where it's crazy person and everyone else for sure haynes let's get your live sketches from the season that you really loved well we are proving right now how intelligent this panel is because those first two are ones that immediately came to mind for me um listen that parent teacher sketch was unbelievable and i think I, i i thought that every I thought that every person in that sketch was nailing it. I, you know, I didn't think it was, I didn't see it as no, just, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't see it as, as just um, Jason and Ego. I thought, um, I thought Kyle was crushing his part as well. I felt like, you know, that the, and like you said, Rich, the escalation was so tempered and so balanced, you know, the way it slowly ramped up. And I thought they just, I thought everyone just did such an excellent job. And, you know, obviously, Kyle's really good at playing kind of the, you know, weak, awkward, um, you know, guy who's who's who might be getting pushed out of this kind of scene who has no control. Um, but but he, but I just thought he was really exceptional. And Jillian, like you said, I think it, I mean, it it was legit hot, kind of. And and I think and I think the hotness um, just it it made it like elevated it elevated Kyle's awkwardness. You know, it felt kind of real in a lot of ways. Like they just really nailed that. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it again. Um, but, uh, but for me, my favorite actually is from the same episode and as fantastic as parent teacher conference was, um, I, I think that 
the reason I'm, I'm choosing Science Room with, and the reason that I'm choosing Science Room is because, again, I thought it was really good escalation, but this sketch had everything to me. So, you know, we, we've, got a, we've got a well-balanced escalation. I thought the kids' parts were written very well. I thought all the just fantastic lines um, for all the kids' parts. And, you know, Rich, you were saying a minute ago about not writing from one character's perspective. I felt like all the parts were written really well in that. Um, it's funny enough to stand on its own, but so much of the reason that I watch SNL is because it is live. I live for moments that can only happen live. And Jason's improv, when Melissa's character calls Cecily Loney instead of Lonnie, is incredible. And the way that Cecily is broken by it is amazing and hilarious. She's trying so hard to keep it together. So uh, this sketch kind of has everything that I look for. Uh, it's number one for me. Yeah, that's interesting. I definitely loved all of those sketches. Uh, and for me, I sort of, uh, I, I, when I think about my favorite live sketches, you know, there's ones that I do show my friends who are maybe not watching the episodes in all full details. And I say, okay, this was my favorite from this episode. You should definitely check out this sketch. And then there's ones that transcend the season. And I feel that I, I have to just go back to time and time again. And I definitely feel like the ones that you guys may, named were those sketches. Except the Five Timers Club sketch from the John Mulaney episode is one that I feel like we can't do a postseason wrap table and not talk about it. Just having those moments, which are very rare, and it was going to happen in the Paul Rudd episode, but only ended up happening in the John Mulaney one. For me, getting to see, you know, all the cameos we got between Conan O'Brien and mm -hmm. Tina Fey, uh, Paul Rudd, uh, Elliot Gould, you know, like just so many moments, you know, to have there. Steve Martin, it, it, to me, there was nothing like it. I, I just had this moment and I, I sure I talked about it on the podcast a week, but it, like, I didn't want to know who was going to be there for the Five Timers Club. I like to know everything <laughs> so I can prepare for you guys on the podcast, but I didn't want to know. And I was fully surprised. And I just had this moment where I just like turn into like a little kid again, watching SNL, seeing everybody show up in that scene. And uh, for me, those are the moments that I live for as an SNL fan and definitely why the John Mulaney episode for me was one of the top episodes of the season. So I have to mention it as one of the great live sketches of the season. See, I count yeah. that as a as a great mixed sketch because I count the please don't destroy uh, pre-tape going straight into the live sketch as all sketch as all one piece of yeah. sketch to and me. And that was beautiful. I loved the way they did that. For sure. Rich. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it you know, it's the it's the it's the fan service, you know, it's the cameo roundtable. But uh, in that particular one, a lot of times when there's a, a lot of times those sketches just rely on, hey, look who it is. There were a lot of good hard jokes that were just Tina Fey crushing, Conan O'Brien crushing, Paul right, like just solid jokes in that. That was just and just that's that's a party. Like that's what I love when it's just that's the party that I've been invited to, and I'm so happy to be invited to that party. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's get from the audience their favorite live sketches from this season. And let's start with Parent Teacher Conference from episode four of the Sudeikis episode. To me, this was the number one sketch from the season. I think this is something that will be on best of lists for a very long time. 13.19% of the audience said Parent Teacher Conference was the number one. Mattress Store, episode three, Rami Malik, 12.5% comes in number two. 
Another sketch, canceling cable from the Kieran Culkin episode, 8.33%. Uh, I definitely feel like that was a very good episode. I personally like to talk about sketches that I think have less cast members, but I feel like that was the one that really worked where you had a lot of cast members in it. Down at the bottom of the list, you know, we'll skip for a bunch, but we also had another Culkin episode that made another Culkin sketch that made this list, which was the men's room sketch that got 2.08% of the vote. That to me was a great sketch from that episode as well. Okay, after canceling cable, we do have a tie at 5.56% of the vote. Monkey Judge from the Melania episode. I know a lot of people loved that sketch. So that one was a great one. Science Room, we talked about episode four, Sudeikis. Hotel Ad, episode eight, Billie Eilish, 4.86%. That one made the list. We also had Subway hmm. Churro. And, you know, Hotel Ad was the one that's, that's a little intriguing to me, but I guess hmm. a lot of people like that. Um, Maybe some Billie Eilish fans. Uh, Mulaney had a couple sketches that then made it in addition to Monkey Judge. Also Subway Churro. That was the Mulaney musical sketch. We got 4.17%. The Five Timers Club, we spoke about 3.47%. Made of Honor from the Zoe Kravitz episode, episode 15. That got 2.78%. I also really enjoyed that sketch. That was really fun to open the show. It's very rare nowadays that we get the best sketch at the start of the show. I think that was a really fun one that we got that episode. Uh, to me, I'm so much more impressed with the list this season compared to 46. So I'm excited to see what we're going to get in season 48 from our live sketches. Can I shout out one more sketch? I'm just surprised it's not. It wasn't better than any of the sketches we picked. I'm not surprised it's not on, but it just, it never got the love on the round tables. But in the Lizzo episode, the Black Eyed Peas recording was to me one of the silliest, most fun. Oh, uh, Haynes, you have no sense of, maybe it's my age, but oh my God, I just thought that sketch was just an absolute delight. And I've seen it so many times and everyone in it crushed it. And just maybe it's just a 1% and I'm the 1%, but boy, I, I love that sketch. It's so funny because I we talked about this on the patron feedback show last week, but uh, Reddit absolutely loved that sketch. And we've been looking to put a face on the names on Reddit and it is Rich Tackenberg. So, um, <laughs> boy, but no, I, I actually I actually didn't mind that sketch as well. I thought it was kind of fun and it was fun to look at. I also would like to shout out from the Lizzo episode, I, a sketch that I also really enjoyed that did not come up, but that would be the Six Flags sketch. That Sarah Sherman piece. I think that was a really fun sketch from that episode as well. Um, Okay, let's talk about the pre-tapes from this season. Haynes, I know you love a good pre-tape, so I'm going to head over to you to talk about these because we got something different this season. We got the Please Don't Destroy pre-tapes. That was a major factor into season 47. And then we also had, uh, you know, Kyle did a few throughout the season that we got to see. That's a classic thing. Um, but we also had, I mean, we had Pete Raps, we had Chris Raps. Chris Red was a huge part of the pre-tapes this season. So would love your overall thoughts on the pre-tapes and your favorite ones from the season. So, yeah, you, you, you know, you're really touching on a lot of major points. Obviously, the, the PDD pre-tapes I thought were amazing and being able to count on them so regularly was so important. Um, yeah, Chris Red was in a ton of pre-tapes. We got, you know, plenty of Pete raps. That was all very fun. As much as I have been praising the PDD uh, pre-tapes and I even, you know, consider that you know, kind of a major theme of the new direction of the show. It none of none of them were my favorite overall, and I did have to think about this a bit. My mind immediately went to one, and and I think it was just the night that it happened, the night that I watched it. It just got so many great laughs out of me, and I I tried to go back preparing for the show and say, you know, is it really my favorite? There were so many good ones, like you said. 
but I am going with Billie Eilish and Kate McKinnon in Lonely Christmas. I thought Lonely Christmas, that is right up my alley. Um, you know, there's no spoken words in this. Uh, basically, you know, Billy observes Kate, you know, being an old lonely lady and she starts writing signs to her, uh, invites her over for dinner. And we almost immediately learn that she's a really horrible person. She's super racist. Her first question is, are there black people there? And she's like, I don't know. And then the very next question is, what about Jews? Um, and, uh, you know, she, um, she says, you know, it means a lot to her to come over because her family is dead, um, dead to her because they voted for a woman for president. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, she mentions that they have a dog and, and Kate says, well, I'll eat anything. I mean, she's just an absolute crazy character. Um, and then about halfway through, and I really love the way this leveled up, uh, we get Mikey's character um, who looks like he's dying. You know, he's putting up signs saying, you know, she's keeping me sick. Um, and it just looks like, you know, he's a child, uh, you know, a prisoner of, of this person. Um, she holds up a sign that says, I didn't kill my husband. Uh, Margaret did. And then Mikey comes back with a sign that says she is Margaret. <laughs> it's like, um, this to me was just, I never stopped laughing and, and every line got a real good, hard laugh out of me. So, uh, there's a, there's a ton of great pre-tapes this season, but when I think about the experience that I had in that moment, I, I just, I just, that night I knew I was seeing one of my absolute new favorite pre-tapes. I hope that it becomes a, uh, a Christmas classic. And for that particular pre-tape, which I think was fantastic, that was my favorite part of the Billie Eilish episode, I sort of have to wonder if Kate McKinnon gets a, one of those best of DVDs, which they don't really make anymore, but if they mm -hmm. did, I would think that that would be her moment from this season that would make that DVD. Most of them would be probably from earlier seasons on the show mm -hmm. when she was just dominating, but that was a wonderful moment for her to come back for the first time this season and to see her in that sketch, uh, that pre-tape. That was just really, really great. It was. Jillian, over to you on your thoughts on the pre-tapes this season and any that you would like to point out. Yeah, I, I loved the Lonely Christmas one. I'm glad that someone else said it. So I don't have to, I can cross that one off my list. Um, I really enjoyed a lot of the please don't destroy ones. Um, especially the ones kind of, I guess, second half of the season that were getting really random and crazy. Like the one with the kid there and the one where Paul Dano was under the couch. I do just like those weird moments. Um, but I think the pre-tape like the pre-tapes I'm I guess I'm splitting them into ones that were I liked the sketch of them and I liked the song of them like there were many where I do have a Spotify Spotify playlist where I'm listening to like Squid Game and now I'm up and I would probably put Three Sad Virgins in there I thought they were just really good songs um but I think as far as sketches that like really just lived on their own as pre-tapes to me would be Lonely Christmas and also the well the prom one in the finale was a real highlight to me with with Andrew as the voiceover of the ghosts at the prom and these terrible things that what was what was the character's name Rachel Finster I think yes, of yes just like it. doing horrible things that was a real highlight to me and the other one that I I might put as my top is the Bowen versus Simu because I criticized Simu's episode and I think a lot of it was because they were not writing something so specifically for him and this is something that was so specifically for the two of them of competing to be 
the first or greatest Asian to do certain things and then both being um, from Canada and then Bowen one-upping him by saying, I'll always be gay, so I will always have that over you, I thought was just really fun. Um, they referenced Entertainment Weekly in it. And so the next day I had to explain to my coworkers of why like people were talking about us in this context. And it was just a lot of fun to really see them both um, doing that and and playing to, I think, Simu's strengths in that too, so that we did get to kind of see him in a way that we didn't get to see him in the rest of the episode. I agree. Rich, would love to get your thoughts on the yeah. pre-tapes this season. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys mentioned two great ones. Uh, you know, a, a similar, I did not pick up Please Do Not Destroy as one of my favorites, but as a piece, you know, as a group, I mean, just such a strong, wonderful addition. And and and, and as it the relate to pre-tapes, let's not forget, I mean, how consistently funny they are and also often they are one location it's just three guys and a guest star in an office where a lot of other pre-tapes it's all over new york multiple sets multiple locations music videos dubbing and and please don't destroy it's just writing and performing often in their office and that to me is a real real sign of strength in the writing that they could do that um but for me you guys mentioned great sketches i was surprised my favorite sketch didn't get picked um weird to say my favorite my favorite something was from the Jonathan Majors uh, episode, but as all of the, the women of SNL took their husbands and boyfriends to the man park to play with other <laughs> men was my absolute favorite. Maybe it speaks to me in a too personal of a way, but just to see the, the men playing with each other and just yelling Marvel, Marvel, and just, and just everything about them getting along. It just, that made that, that was such a specific voice and someone, uh, a group of writers saw something in, in, men and women that was so beautiful and so fun I, that was absolutely my favorite pre-tape of the season yeah i love that one and i i just genuinely loved having please don't destroy in there at least once every run i really felt like they were missed in the last three episodes and i'm excited to see what they're going to be able to do in season 48 will we get any of them into the cast potentially these are all questions we'll be talking about all summer long as we head towards season 48 and yeah there were some really really good pre-tapes i think that the amazon go one was one that i really yep. enjoyed and i thought it was a great commentary uh but the uh really the one for me that i just look at that speaks to me specifically. I know it's not for everybody, but three sad virgins for me from the, like I was going to say from the lonely island from please don't destroy was so exactly what I grew up on at the show that it was just nice to throw it back a little bit to something that was very fun that I could picture myself playing out, you know, in, in my car or, you know, listening to when it's not necessarily SNL related. It was just a great example of like how to properly use, I guess, you know, the, the musical guest Taylor Swift was in it. We had a very fun Pete part uh, where, you know, Pete was going back and forth between the Please Don't Destroy guys. I just really felt like that to me spoke to me in a way. And of course, the good variant one that we spoke about that was, you know, Jillian mentioned was a little bit of a mixed breed with the five timers club. To me, these fun party moments that we get where people are, it, it just, it's something you get from SNL that you can't get anywhere else. And I really, really enjoyed those. Okay. Let's see what the audience thought though, about the pre-tapes from this season. And TJ this rocks. One, <laughs> yeah. This is one we did not bring up, but it was so great. Uh, the understudy. This is the mm -hmm. one from Chloe Feynman in episode 19 with Benedict Cumberbatch got 
0.73% of the vote. I mean, this was a great sketch that we got with, from Chloe Feynman. So I'm so happy that she got that on. Number two was the Three Sad Virgins, episode six, Jonathan Majors. Then, really, what was sort of Pete Davidson's goodbye without actually being his goodbye? We had an evening with Pete on episode nine with Paul Rudd, one of the only uh, you know new material that we got on that Christmas show. Amazon Go, I mentioned episode 15 with Zoe Kravitz. Uh, how about Meatballs, episode 14 with Oscar hmm. Isaac? That was uh, Sarah Sherman's uh, really great sketch. Pretty much, I would say, like her coming out party. I mean, there was a lot of stuff before, but I mean, she had a great, great moment there. Uh, and then Man Park, obviously, Rich's uh, favorite sketch of the season, episode six with Jonathan Majors, 5.45%. Uh, Hard Seltzer, the first, the introduction to Please Don't Destroy, Their Lettuce, uh, episode two with Kim Kardashian, 2.73% of the vote. So uh, fun to get those pre-tapes. Okay. Uh, something that we're not going to get into too much on the show today because uh, I don't like, you know, it's very subjective and stuff like that. But I will say we also asked our audience for their favorite musical guests this season. So I will bring those results up on screen to get their fav our favorite musical guests from the audience. And in first place, we do have Taylor Swift. 19.08%. Obviously, she had that all too well 10 minute performance, an all timer uh, on Saturday Night Live. Uh, Brandy Carlisle was a big favorite in episode number four, 12.21% of the vote. Rosalia, episode 15, 10.69% of the vote. Billie Eilish doing double duty, 9.92%. And Lizzo doing double duty in fifth place, episode 18, 9.16%. Those were your favorite musical guests of the season. All right. Another point in the show we have not talked about yet is Weekend Update. And this was the a big year for Colin Jost and Michael J as they both passed Seth Meyers as the all-time record holders in episodes as Weekend Update correspondents or hosts of Weekend Update. So to me, that was uh, very interesting to you know just talk about their progression throughout the years. Could we be slowly heading towards the ending for them? But we got zero indication in the finale that this would be it. We didn't even get a joke swap as a final thing for them. So I would assume that they are going to be coming back next year. But it was a, it was an, you know, a good season, probably some up and downs for me on Weekend Update. I'd love to talk about Colin and Michael and also the guest correspondents that we've seen on there. What were some of your favorites from the panel and also from our audience in the chat tonight? Rich, let me start with you for your favorite Weekend Update moments from season 47. Yeah, I mean, a lot of good jokes. Obviously, the guys have really settled into a nice pattern, the nice roles, you know, not that anything necessarily stands out, but I think that they're doing really well. But as far as the features go, a lot of fun moments. But I thought, you know, the the real pleasant surprise here was 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 Bowen and 80 uh, coming on as the future forecast trenders. I, I just thought that was from the jump. It was so much fun. And to see, I like seeing 80 at that high level. It reminded me very much of Stefan in its presence presentation style. And uh, I thought this is something that would become an, a, a classic, if not for the fact that 80 was leaving this year. So we got, I think we got three of them in one season. Surprisingly, the third one, I was laughing just as hard as I was at the first. It wasn't a tired out trope. It didn't become Mad Libs for me. It stayed really, really fun. So a lot of fun moments, but I'll start by throwing that out as, 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 as features goes, Weekend Update features. That was one of my favorite pieces. And Rich, how do you feel about Colin and Michael this season? You know, solid. I mean, I think that they're solid. I think that, um, you know, I, I mean, they're very good. They're very good at this. I think that 
probably we're getting to the point where, you know, the show is ready for something new and and to mix it up a little bit, whatever that might be. Um, but I don't think that's going to be next year, nor do I think it should be. But I think we're getting close to that point. Yeah, definitely. Jillian, over to you for your thoughts on update overall the season and any moments that sound up to you. Yeah, so I think update in general was getting a little bit stale to me. I mean, I think they do a fine job, but I'm I'm also looking forward to some kind of energy shift, like getting the weirdness of the Paul Rudd episode and, and Che and Tina Fey doing it together to an audience of three people was just a nice little mix to like see like what else could could be i mean i don't think it's that format of of two people randomly doing it to three an audience of three um but i really missed the joke swap like that is che and joe's playing off of each other is the thing about their energy that i do really enjoy that it took them a while despite being good friends it took them a while to get there and i wish they would lean into it even more um but otherwise of uh, update guests. There were, you know, some that it was, it was kind of random to me. Like I, I don't, I guess I don't have stats on how many update guests we've had in the past, but it seemed kind of all over the place of going with like three in some, uh, where it just always seemed like one, at least one was unnecessary to ones where there were only one or none, I think in the Mulaney episode. So that was, strange um but i did really love the trend forecasters which bowen has said he will not do without 80 until she comes back to guest at some point um but i loved sarah sherman is the the thing that really mixed the energy up for me like her mocking colin her especially in the finale her being the in the field uh going into his dressing room and the the flub of the dropping the photo and then hmm. picking it up um or saving herself uh was really fun and injected some new energy to me um but i think my standout update moment of the whole season was cecily as goober the clown it was just so important it really transcended the show and it was six months before even when we were really talking about this issue um so it was just it was just really special and i thought she struck a really good balance of of comedy and really getting serious and moving and that will just that's a real highlight for me yeah definitely that was a, a very powerful moment that we got earlier on in the season haynes how do you feel about update overall i know you have a lot of opinions on colin and michael we often get to hear them and would love to just hear any moments that you thought stood out for you from the season on update well, listen, I'm I'm old fashioned. I love a good straight joke. So I love weekend updates. It's a, it's a it's a part of the show that I feel like we can always count on. Um, it's very stable. You know, uh, sketches can kind of be hit or miss. I think for the most part, um, you know, these guys can write jokes. And so, um, you know, as far as as far as what we got from Michael and Colin, yeah, it was kind of par for the course. I don't think they you know started telling like better jokes this year. Um, but that's great because I, I think they do a great job. Um, yes, you know, some, you know, as folks have kind of alluded to, um, it may be kind of just getting to the point where some, you know, some fresh blood would, would give some, provide some new energy, but, you know, first of all, congratulations to them both becoming the most tenured anchors in history. That's no small feat. And, um, you know, 
I do think they're going to stick around for at least one more season because to end without giving us one final joke swap would be the cruelest joke of all. And <laughs> um, I would hope they wouldn't be that mean to us. I Listen, I think that um, Sarah, listen, her roasting of Colin was, I was debating, is this my favorite thing that happened on Weekend Update all year because I just love the Colin bashing. It is very fun, no matter who it's coming from. Um, I'm not sure how long she can do this thing where she just keeps twisting his words to make him a bad person. I'm not sure how long we can keep doing that before it gets old, but I absolutely have loved it so far. Um, it was not my favorite, though. What I settled on, um, I, I think I'd have to go with Andrew Dismuke's Amazing Animals. Um, or Andy's, Andy's Amazing Animals, maybe it was called. Uh, this was incredible to me. I have to recognize it, um, first off, just for its creativity. It was just a, a really fun uh, bit, the way the whole thing was set up. Um, you know, it developed extremely well and in an unexpected way, of course. I don't think anyone could have predicted that the octopus was going to predict his his death that he was going to die in seven days and um and the way he reacted to it was killing me um bongo you see things that man cannot <laughs> like this, this just gave me some really hard laughs um and then bringing out the dog and keeping it going you know and having the dog character be like are you really going to die and him having to have this conversation with the dog you know are you scared I love you. <laughs> and then at the end, the dog kind of roasts him by giving some wrong answers and, and then giving him a right one. So um, to me, I just got a, a lot of really hard laughs out of that one. And I thought it was particularly um, creative in the way they told that um, that sad little story and, and gave, gave Andrew's character this um, up and down. Uh, but with the telling of, I mean, what, what interesting characters, this foreboding octopus and then and then a dog in the most classic sense of a dog um so i just thought it was very creative and very fun i loved andy's amazing animals that was a really fun one and in, in on a moment that was a great season for andrew dismukes between all the sketches mm -hmm. and the we got this great pre-tape from him in the finale he was just really all over the show this year so it'll mm -hmm. be interesting to talk about uh his season overall as we get through it but uh you know there was one other uh weekend update moment that didn't get brought up yet that is on the list from social media so i'll bring that up and we'll talk about it because that was something that i really enjoy this season and First off, the the number one choice from everybody was the Sarah Sherman stuff with Colin Joe. So all three of them, 25.81% of the vote, uh, crushed this. Absolutely. Uh, trend forecasters came in number two, all three of them, 11.83% of the vote. And then the one that we didn't talk about yet that I want to talk about is from the Willem Dafoe episode. Peyton Manning coming in to talk about Emily in Paris. I said this <laughs> the week of, but Peyton Manning is probably, like that episode is probably my favorite episode of all time, his 2007 episode. Um, it may not be the the best episode if we really looked at it like all time. There's, you know, obviously other ones that we could talk about, Steve Martin, Blues Brothers, uh, as a great, another great example. But that Peyton ep Manning episode to me is my absolute favorite and to see him come back on the show uh it, it was a crime that we did not get him back sooner and he just came on and showed why he is such a good snl host when he came out to do that and i thought it was great that uh laugh and tosh 3000 uh, came in fourth place 7.53 percent of the vote and then of course goober the clown 3.23 percent of the vote i was just gonna say i said at the time that I only know this man from snl i mean i know he plays football i couldn't tell you what team he played for but as an SNL, like he's an SNL all-star just in those two appearances. 
Yeah, yeah, it was so incredible just to get to get to see him back. And when I found out he was going to be there that day, I was so pumped to see what he would do. Uh, Rich, any other thoughts on update? I was going to ask: Was there a different Peyton Manning feature that I that you saw that I didn't see? Because the one I saw was mediocre at best, predictable. Oh, no. uh, uh, one more shout out, just because it didn't get mentioned from the very beginning of the season. I thought Ego doing the uh, black woman missing for ten years mm-hmm. was such a fun piece, and it was not overwrought in its message, but it was very silly, very fun, but also really, t- really well written, and that was a really fun one. I thought it also should be. Shared shout out yeah that was really really fun okay what i want to do next is talk about our favorite hosts from the season so i'm going to ask you maybe you know give me your favorite and then if you have like a you know one or two more that you want to mention uh no problem at all jillian so you watched all the episodes this past weekend do you have a favorite host from this season of snl uh that's a really that is probably the hardest one for me i was trying to not pick an alumni um i think i'm gonna settle on gerard just because he was so effortlessly like i could see him being a cast member i could see him filling a mulaney spot of coming back as as someone who's known for stand-up and a writer who could come and just like seamlessly integrate in the sketches um and that i would really love to see um become a, a friend of the show Haynes, over to you. What are your thoughts? Well, generally, my favorite hosts are stand-up comics. So, for example, I loved the early lineup of last season, you know, with Chris Rock, Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, John Mulaney in the first six episodes. Um, despite that, John Mulaney was not my pick for the best of the season. And there were some really excellent hosting performances this year, I thought. Uh, Gerard Carmichael and Benedict Cumberbatch both were really fantastic. They come to mind immediately. But I have to give it to Jason Sudeikis. He just crushed every single sketch. was also a great monologue. Uh, My favorite live sketch I chose because of what he brought to it. And the episode, his episode was just incredible altogether. And the episode was incredible uh, because of what he brought to it. He was an ideal host in every way. Um, And of course, you know, anyone who loves SNL is just going to love uh, having Jason Sudeikis back. So yeah, that was my favorite host, I think. Okay. And Rich, what about you? Favorite host from the season? I, you know, Sudeikis, sure. I can't pick an alumni because I feel like it's it's almost a different question because you're right. Sudeikis episode was and forte. I mean, they're just, they're already playing at a different level. I thought for me, the theme was the how few episodes were so great because the host was a force of nature. What I think what I got from the host was just watching a wish fulfillment, watching people be on a show that they grew up with, having the time of their lives, just beaming from ear to ear from the beginning to the end. Um, and to pick one, as far as people who were not, I would even almost put Paul Rudd and John Mulaney as, as alumni at this point. I'm going to go Jake Gyllenhaal. I feel like Jake was someone who just did a really solid job in sketches and really, really supported sketches that would probably not have been as good if he wasn't in them. Um, not that I would say I'd put him well above everyone else, but he's the probably person who stood out for me. For me, I think, yeah, I think you have to put the alumni in a different category. I think that Jason was my favorite host from the season. I mean, I would, I would watch Jason on every episode and I could go back and do that for so many years. What a privilege. Uh, but the uh, for me, I think that like as far as new time hosts or, or first time hosts were concerned, 
Uh, Oscar Isaac for me was a huge one that I really, really loved. I think him and Rami Malek, a very similar type host, but really enjoyed them together. I think they both uh, elevated their episodes tremendously. I uh, enjoy that. I do think Natasha Lyonne was completely, obviously very overshadowed in her episode, but I think she is a really fun host. And I would be curious to see what she would do if she was in an episode that wasn't you know, about everything else besides her. So um, that could be very fun. So there were some really good hosts from the season. I also want to ask you, we didn't talk about this pre-show, but I would love to get from all of you while we're having this discussion about maybe a cast member from the season that you would say you really want to point out as an MVP of the season for you guys. So Haynes, can I start with you on this one, a cast member MVP? Without thinking of it, you know, much off the top of my head, I, I did feel like it was kind of a standout season for Andrew Dismukes. I don't know if I would call him the MVP of the show. It's not like he was stealing episode every episode, but it felt like a standout season for him. Um, I think that I think Ego had a, a really great season. Um, so I would just toss her name out there as well. As far as like, I mean, she just had a really great season, I thought. Okay. Jillian, what about you? Yeah, it's hard. I agree. Andrew had probably the, a standout season for me as well as um, JAJ. Um, but I mean, as um, if we're saying true MVP, I have to give it to Keenan. Like he was there even when everyone was out for COVID. He was up there with some of the greatest SNLers of all time, giving us a truly awkward show, but one for the ages. Um, but I really loved how much Ego and Chris Red really got to shine. And really, I think we can see them as the future of SNL as we move out of some of these longtime cast members leaving us and who the shows, uh, whose hands the show is going to be in. I mean, I think Bowen had my MVP last season, um, but I think that I would give it to, after Keenan, uh, a tie with Ego and Chris as the new class MVPs. Yeah, for sure. I think that Keenan is just so synonymous with the show that it's hard to uh, talk about his accolades. But obviously, we had that moment, the season of the 1500th sketch for Keenan, which was, you know, uh, national news. <laughs> so it was really cool to get that moment to, to celebrate him this season, who has been on the show and heading into his 20th season on the show in 48. That's very exciting. Uh, Rich, what about you? Any cast member MVPs from the season? Well, similar as you were saying, you know, when I said this one would happen, when Sudeikis came and hosted and we had a lot of cameos and Keenan came back as, to do a cameo to do what up with that and then go, oh, no, wait, he's still on the show. That's crazy. He's almost in that alumni class. You know, I, I agree with what, ev what everyone is saying. J.E.J., I mean, I've been saying I think Ego is becoming the glue of the show. I think she's so versatile and she can play so many different parts. Scene stealing, Chris Red for sure. So many times Chris Red stole the scene in different ways. So I like that it's not a one-note joke. Um, but I think the theme that I see more than anything is that there is no one standout, that in other seasons – it was, it was the Kate season. It was the, you know, like there have been these bigs and, and, and I don't think it's just a factor of such a large cast. I think it's the kind of cast, the way that the show is being written there, you know, other than a couple of episodes, I think there was one episode, I think it was, um, the Billie Eilish episode where I think Kate McKinnon was in like every single sketch. But other than that, it's been a very balanced season as far as the cast. And I, I, I wonder how it, I think it makes for a very well-balanced show that we're not all talking about 
one person, but I don't know if it's services, SNL, mythos, and ratings when you don't have a breakout star that everyone's coming to watch for that one person. That's what we're missing with, I mean, Kate and Pete were people who walk onto the stage and got the audience applause as if it was a cameo or a host walking out, which is going to be really interesting to see what happens in the future. Yeah, I'm excited to see how the cast comes together, obviously, after these major departures. But yeah, for me, I think Andrew Dismukes uh, was a huge part of the season. I think that uh, Haynes talked about it. Uh, I, I think he just had so many roles on the show. And uh, Chris Red for me, uh, really just took a major step forward this season. So I think those are two cast members I would love to point out as well. Uh, Sarah Sherman, I do mention a lot how I, I did like what we were getting from Heidi Gar Gardner this year. I know, uh, you know, a lot of people prefer characters from her as opposed to utility, but I think, you know, she had a really good season as well. Um, and, you know, we're going to be talking next week on the By the Number show about every single cast member's individual season going through them all. So we're going to get to this a little bit more. So we have uh, host, we have cast members, and you know th those are the MVP results that we're going to bring up in just a moment. But before we do that, I also want to talk about best episode of the season. So that is our last category we're going to go through for tonight. Rich Shackenberg, best episode of the season. Sudeikis. Yeah, I thought Sudeikis was just again. I hate picking an alumni because, but you really you didn't. Other than him doing the Devil at Weekend Update, which we didn't talk about, which was also fantastic. It was not Sudeikis coming back and doing a bunch of his old characters. It was new to him sketches. So even though he's an alumni, um, I just thought that was such a solid episode. So great, Jillian. Over to you. Best episode of the season for you. I agree. I loved the Rami Malek episode, but it's got to be Jason Sudeikis. And I'm not someone who is so nostalgic that I always love an alumni. Like I actually got to a point where I actively did not want Kristen or Bill to come back to host because I was just kind of like sick of them and having them take over and do a lot of older characters. Um, but the Jason episode just gave me everything that I wanted in an alumni show, including new classics. Okay, Haynes, what about you? 0% nostalgia. Stack it up against any episode this season. Sudeikis is the best episode. There's no doubt about it. I feel like, and we had some good episodes, but man, I mean, look, I already picked him as what I thought, who I thought was the best host of the season. You know, he was, you know, I picked the live, I picked Science Room as the best live sketch of the season. So I feel like I kind of have to pick Sudeikis episode as the, as the best episode, but it's, you know, we, it had the parent teacher conference. It had another one of my favorite sketches from the season. I haven't heard anybody else talk about it, but I absolutely loved the declaration of independence pitch. Um, and it wasn't Sudeikis who stole that scene. It was Andrew Dismukes um, coming in, talking about how sick it would be or how cool it would be if we just had a sick-ass treasure map on this thing. I loved, absolutely loved Aristotle and AD coming from the future and being like, we come from a time when there is nothing on the back of the Declaration of Independence and people are pissed. And I just thought it was a fantastic sketch. Um, that episode was it just top to bottom was fantastic. We did get some fan service with the return of the devil to the weekend update desk. Um, and I just, to me, it was just a fantastic episode. It, I, I don't want to say it was a no brainer because I really tried to rack my brains and do some comparisons between, you know, what I thought were really great episodes, but this was just so good. 
Yeah, I I definitely uh, agree. I think that Jason Sudeikis, uh, I mean, I, I like to see dissenting opinions of the panel, but I think like across the board, best episode of the season, probably one of the best episode in the 40s of SNL. I think that John Mulaney for me would probably be a, a pretty close second. I, I think that yeah. episode was Agreed. just, like I said, I mean, we've seen uh, John Mulaney five years in a row. This is the modern John Goodman and he's coming in and we've seen diminishing returns respectfully from John Mulaney for, you know, years now. And he just came in and had like a retro game of hitting home run after home run after home run. And I was super impressed. And to me, this was the, uh, that was the best episode of season 47B by far. I think you have to talk about the Kieran Culkin episode, which I think was, you know, probably the best written episode potentially of the season. Uh, Rami Malik, Oscar Isaac, I think Lizzo was really fun as well. Um, I think Detached Leone, I think very fun episode to wrap up the season. I think you just had some really good episodes this season. So I think, uh, like you said, some really high ups, some downs. It was a bumpy road across the way. Um, would love to also put up some social media polls before we wrap up the season as a whole. So let's start with, we talked about cast member MVPs from the season. And from the audience, we have our number one cast member MVP is Sarah Sherman. Believe it or not, the Sherman stands always vote. Uh, the squirm stands always vote very strong in our polls, 14.36%. Andrew Dismukes comes in 12.31%. Cecily Strong in third place, 9.74%. Bowen Yang, 9.23%. Kate McKinnon, 8.72%. James Austin Johnson, 7.69%, and Chris Red, 6.67% for cast member season-long MVPs. Okay, this is a fun question we also asked the audience today. We also said, if you could pick one host from season 47 to return for season 48, which one would you pick? So panel, I would like you, for the last time of the season, to guess what the audience actually said in this one. Jillian. Selena Gomez. Yeah, Selena. <laughs> I'm, I'm beating everyone to the punch. Selena Gomez. Okay, okay. But okay, maybe, maybe. Haynes, a dissenting opinion? So hold on. Are we playing family feud rules? Like I'm guessing what the what people said. What, what you're, people you're playing chose? Price is Right rules. So do one penny over Selena Gomez and tell us who you think should come back for season 48. Oh, um, I don't know. Lizzo. Pick one. Lizzo. Okay. Well, uh, you're all wrong for this one. Elliot Gould. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, Paul Rudd, number one choice mm -hmm. for which host do you want to he see come back it. for season 48? Yeah, he definitely deserves it. This is a, a big thing that we were talking about a lot at the Christmas show um, where he really didn't get his due. I mean, he had some fun in the John Mulaney episode, but would love to see Paul Rudd come back and get a proper fifth hosting appearance, 14.93%. Jason Sudeikis, 11.44%. Oscar Isaac, 10.45% comes in third place. Tie between Rami Malek and John Mulaney, 7.46%. Natasha Leone comes in, 6.47%. And Gerard Carmichael, 3.48%. I do not want to see Jason Sudeikis in Studio 8H until the 50th anniversary. I will be Ooh. thrilled to see him then, but he gave us gold and I don't want to ruin it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see it, but I, I get it. I get it. I see what you're saying. You want to hold hold off a little bit. Okay. Uh, panel, this has been really, really fun. What we always do at the end of our roundtables is look ahead to the next week of shows. So we have to look ahead a little bit further this time to October. And I would love to go to all of you to get a final thought on season 47 and what you are looking forward to in season 48. Rich Hackenberg, can I start with you on this one? 
Sure. I mean, looking back at 47, great way to wrap up. It does feel like the first episode when we talked about, uh, you know, the first episode of the season with Owen Wilson, it feels like that was six and a half years ago. So it's been a, it's been a hell of a run, a long run, but it's been a hell of a run. I would say, you know, what I would love to see going into season 48 is more characters. I feel like the show, this is this cast has been a really good cast as far as sketches but we've gone away from memorable characters that become reoccurring characters um i think that's maybe because we have fewer people that come from the groundlings and more people that come from stand-up comedy and ucb which is generally more premise-based than character-based um but so i'd like to see more of that but i'm i'm mostly as much as i will miss all four people who are leaving, some more than others, but I will miss all four. I'm very heartened that they are leaving to make room because I think some of the people that we were just buzzing about as MVP could be true stars, but they can't when they have the ceiling of that many people above them who are going to get on. So I'm looking forward to see what, what some of these, what some of these people who are breaking are going to do next season. Jillian, over to you for final thoughts on 47 and what you are looking forward to heading into season 48. Yeah, I agree with that. I really would love to see these people get the chance to really cement themselves as truly an SNL all-star. Um, there's some pairings that I would love to see. Like, I would really love to see uh, Ego and Bowen develop some kind of characters that are recurring that really play into like, they're such close friends, like the way that Bowen and AD did with uh, the trend forecasters. I would love to see Ego and Bowen. They work together often, but I want to see like two established characters from them working together. Um, and I really want to just see more of Ego in general. She's one of the people that I was a huge fan of before she was ever on the show. And I think her character work, like from the comedy podcast that I know her from, was so strong that I, I think she really can um, dive into that a little bit more. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really interested to see more of, I would love PDD and uh, Sarah to work together, continue to work together closely and really build up that, that weirdness and Andrew to really lean into his dark sensibilities that we really got to see from him this season. Um, that's all very exciting to me. I agree. Haynes, over to you. Well, you're taking the words out of my mouth here with the with the first two uh, with the first two predictions. Yeah, I mean, listen. As far as 47, um, you know, it was it was good. It was obviously the end of an era. Um, you know, losing losing Kate and 80. Uh, you know, Pete and Kyle, but particularly Kate and 80. It almost feels like Cecily should have left with them. Not that I would want her to. I think she's amazing. Um, but you know, looking forward to next year, first of all, I love the idea of more well-developed characters. So I think what I'm hearing from Rich is that the biggest loss here is no more baby Yoda. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, so I think, I, I think I do, but I do think characters would be fun. Um, like, uh, Jillian said, um, and you, you really did take the words out of my mouth. I, I want to see, I'm lo really looking forward to more weirdness from Sarah Sherman and looking forward to the kind of quasi weirdness from Andrew Dismukes. He's, um, I consider him weird too. I'm kind of a 10 to one guy. I love getting weird. Um, he's not as, ex I think we have Sarah as an extremist 
weirdo and and uh and andrew dismukes is a, is a is a quasi weirdo so i'd love to see more from them and i absolutely am looking forward to um what pdd is doing not just with their pre-tapes but with all the sketches that they're writing um and yeah i think ego will continue to uh continue to blossom uh and yeah so i think there's a lot to look forward to Definitely. I had so much fun covering season 47. Like I said, you know, there were some low moments along the way, but really, uh, this was a great time to be able to hang out with all the panelists and all the, the chats every single week. And I was just having genuinely a lot of fun with this season. And I think that I can't remember a summer where I've been more, uh, you know, nervously maybe anticipating what's going to happen in season 48. Like, I'm so curious, were the forecast members leaving it was that you know is there more changes that are going to be happening between now and the start of season 48 i think those are like major storylines to watch potentially of other cast members who didn't say their goodbye but decide like back then it to potentially think about it over the summer and then depart us um what other changes behind the scenes that snl might make but i i think we're in for a really strong season 48 if i had to think about you know them taking the summer to look back at now kind of entering this post-COVID era, what is working for them so far in 47 and heading towards a new era of the show. I think we're getting there. This will be the beginning of the new era in season 48, and I am just so pumped for it. And to your point, John, this is a rare time where we have a, you know four major cast members leaving, and we have practice at all of these. We've had, you know, AD was out for a while, Cecil, uh, um, uh, Kate was out for a while, and Pete is, you know, MIA half the season anyway. So, and and in all four of those, in all three of those times, we've had very strong episodes. We can do the show without Kate. We can do the show without AD. We've seen it. We can do the show without Pete. We've seen it. Kyle, you know, I think James Austin Johnson in sketch will play a very similar character that Kyle played. So I think that we have the moves to do it, which is, I think, going to be very interesting. My final thought is whatever's going to happen with being safe and COVID, if we're going to do the show live, if we're please stop wearing masks during the good night, I don't care who gets COVID. If you <laughs> didn't get COVID <laughs> by 12.59 a.m., you if you didn't get COVID by 12.59 a.m., you're not getting it at 1 a.m. on the stage. Please let us just have the emotional resonance of the end of the show of seeing our cast members finish and, and let the rest be damned. The thoughts of Rich Hackenberg are representative of Rich Hackenberg. <laughs> I take it. I own it. Yeah. Yes, for sure. For sure. And I know Rich is such a They're big guy. They're all vaccinated nice, so, and yeah. boosted. Come on. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, okay. Let's talk about what's coming up here on the SNL Network. So obviously, uh, you know, we're not going to be spending as much time as we did during the season, during the summer, but that doesn't mean you can't come out and hang with us throughout the summer as we have some fun looking forward to the next season. So this is what we're looking at for the next few weeks. Next Monday night, we'll be back here at the exact same time to have our final by the number show of the season. I'll be live with Nicole Rovine and Mike Murray. We're going to go through the final power rankings of both the cast and the hosts. And then 
We're going to go through each cast member, all 21 of them, and talk about their seasons, you know, and give them ratings, talk about their statistics, how they did. It's going to be a long show. So just be ready, make yourself some coffee or some snacks, and we're going to go through every single cast member. It'll be really fun to do that next Monday. And then the following few weeks after that, we're going to go through each of the departed cast members' careers, talk about their entire times on the show, and go through Kate McKinnon, Pete Davidson, AD Bryant, and Kyle Mooney's time at Saturday Night Live. So we have a lot of fun coming up over the next month, and we'll continue to do so throughout the summer. Jillian Cedarholm, thank you so much for joining us. It's always great to read everything you're doing at Entertainment Weekly and everything you're doing on Twitter. Please tell the listeners where they can find all the stuff you got going on. Thanks. I just first I want to make a plea that in that episode that Nicole is blowing bubbles in her coffee because that was she talked about that in your recent roundtable and I was dying. You guys were off the rails. Um, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jillian SED um, as well as uh, on EW.com writing about SNL, editing stories about SNL, uh, among other things. Always great to get to see everything you're doing, Jillian. Thank you for joining us. I look forward to talking about SNL 48 with you. Andrew Haynes, one of our amazing super fans who I cannot wait to talk to this summer because we have a really fun super fan takeover planned for right around the end of June, beginning of July. So I look forward to that. But Haynes, please tell the listeners where they can reach out to you. Definitely looking forward to everything we have coming up this summer for sure. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at SNL has a cast and Instagram at Candrew Attitude. Another season in the books. It's been a great, been a great run. For sure, for sure. Rich, it's been great co-piloting this with you uh, throughout the season. Always one of our best analysts that we have. Uh, I'm very thrilled to always get to talk to you and look forward to chatting with you again in the fall. Thank you. Thank you. I will yeah. be, do nothing until then. So <laughs> I, I'm dormant until the, the season 48. Yes. I look forward to knocking on your door at the beginning of October and waking you up for the new season. So that'll Perfect. be fun. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, you can find everything we're doing at the SNL Network on all social platforms. Our social media team, headed by Nicole Rovine, worked so hard this week to get all of the fan uh, opinions on everything we're doing. So make sure to check all that out on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. And Instagram, you can find me at John Schneider 24 I miss all you guys and we don't get to talk every single day about Saturday Night Live. So feel free to give me a holler anytime you want. You can always DM me to talk about whatever as we continue to grow here at the SNL Network and talk about Saturday Night Live. I want to thank all of our panelists, Jillian, Andrew, and Rich for joining us today and everybody in the chat who joined us live on this Monday night. My name is John Schneider from the SNL Network. Thank you for joining us for Season 47 coverage. We will see you next time, everybody. Have a good one.